Good morning. Would you stand and open up to Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 27. I'm going to read through chapter 2 and verse 11. We're going to look this morning at our third part in joyful community. So Philippians 2 verse, or excuse me, 1 verse 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Chapter 2. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, Lord, we are doing the same thing in our hearts. We're bowing before you and confessing you are Lord. And there is no other. There's no other name under heaven given by which we must be saved. And that you are coming again as King of kings and Lord of lords. So we humble ourselves before you. We say, Lord, please, take your word and give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. We want to, Lord, hear from you and respond to it in obedience as knowing you and walking with you. And, Lord, you lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. The Bible says you always lead us in triumph. That no matter what's going on, you're causing all things to work together for good. So I pray your blessing over the things that I've, made, I've prepared here. Break them fresh, Lord, and feed us. We're hungry. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So up on the front here, as we've been doing these last two studies, and so today and next week also, there's a prayer bowl. We call it our prayer bowl as the prayer bowl in heaven. And so we're asking you to fill out your prayer requests. You can do one, two, three. You can do it every week. Just put them in there, and we will be praying over those throughout the year, 2021, from February through next through December, to pray for that need that you have. One of the hopes that I have is as we're talking about joyful community, we're hitting different things. Maybe there's something there, the Holy Spirit's stirring in your hearts about your walk with the Lord. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's whatever, and you want prayer for that. You want to see the Lord do that. Then that's a perfect response to what we'll be going through. Now, this morning, we're going to do communion. This message lends itself to that. So as we look at, this, at the things we've looked at as far as these values, joyful community values, and by the way, the book of Philippians is filled with joy. That's why we call it joyful community. Even though Paul's in a prison writing it, he, this thing is loaded with joy, that, that your joy may be full, that our joy. Jesus even said that. He, he, he's, wanting him to, he's wanting us to love one another and obey God by, by loving one another. That our joy may be 
full. So fullness of joy. Joy is not, does not bank on the circumstances. It's on the presence of God in our lives, no matter what the circumstance. So we looked at the first three values. We get past ourselves. In other words, the joy of thinking more about you and less about me, that's always joyful <laughs> when we do it. So do we have that slide there? There we go. We get past ourselves. Secondly, these are values, uh, joyful community values. We talk to God. In other words, the joy of praying for you and you for me. Last week, we loved the gospel. That's the joy that we are saved and others can be too. Would you say amen? That's a joy in our hearts. This morning, I want to look at, at we remember Jesus' death until he comes. This is the joy of a servant. We we remember Jesus' death until he comes. That's one of the sacraments, along with baptism, that we practice. We take communion. As we'll look at, Paul said, as often as you take the bread and drink the cup, you do show his death. You proclaim his death until he comes. So it takes us from Jesus coming to Jesus coming again. So we love the gospel. I want to pick up where we, read, we started reading this morning. In Philippians 1.27, it says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. So we love the gospel. We are saved and others can be too. But Paul says there to stand fast as one in the gospel. He says the faith that strives together. These are the things we looked at last week. Notice in one spirit and with one mind, we are striving together to stand as one in the gospel. Also, the faith that suffers together. Paul called it, we have the same conflict, and we do. We go through the same kinds of things in different ways and different measures. But because we know Jesus Christ, those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We're going to be swimming upstream of the currents of this world, and they are evil currents for sure. So we suffer together, being of one mind. And then the faith that serves one another in the gospel. And that's what we'll look at a lot this morning. So this is the context of Paul's then saying, therefore, in chapter 4, uh, 2, verse 1. Therefore. So he's pointing back to this whole idea of faith that stands together, strives together, suffers together, and serves one another. Therefore, he says, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill, there it is, my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Here it is again. Let each esteem what? Others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. So what Paul is saying here, stand fast as one. Keep in mind these four things. The word might be better translated since so since we're in Christ, since we are saved, since we love Jesus and know Jesus, we have been encouraged and comforted by him. We have fellowship with him in the spirit. These are all part of what we receive through faith. We have received his affection and mercy. Are you not thankful for these things in your relationship with Christ? That we know him. We are encouraged and comforted by his love for us. We have fellowship with him through the spirit. He's shown us his affection and his mercy. Therefore, in other words, 
The certainty of these things in our lives are to be the certainty of them in us to others. How he affects me should be affecting how I'm loving other people, serving other people, showing mercy to other people, having fellowship, sincere, real fellowship with others. So I'm thinking of them more important than myself. I'm thinking of my, yes, I have interests, but not just mine, I'm thinking of them. So, selfless humility is the very nature of others-mindedness. Selfless humility is the very nature of other-mindedness. It's not trying to be it, it is selfless humility. So, there can be no joy in the life of a Christian or in the life of a community who puts himself above others, looks down on everyone. There will be no oneness, no unity if we put ourselves above each other, one another. If we're vying for attention, we're vying for place. Without the self-humility of Jesus, and that's what we're looking at this morning, we will not stand fast as one. We won't. Without the selfless humility of Jesus, we will not be willing to strive together. We'll split. Without the selfless humility of Christ, we will not be prepared to suffer together. It won't happen. Why? It's very simple. Jesus modeled it and commanded us. Because we will not serve one another by loving one another. As Jesus did himself by example and then by commandment. We'll look at those at the end of the study. And he gave us these examples to follow. He said, I'm showing you, I'm demonstrating to you, I am a servant. We will not be prepared to suffer together. And I believe that we are, going to, we are entering a whole new phase of our nation's history. We're seeing it already. That we will be suffering differently as believers in Jesus Christ. That's a given. I don't say if, I say when. Now how do we prepare for that? First of all, in my heart, I don't want to suffer. Jesus even said, Lord, Father, it's possible. Let this cup pass from me. But in my heart, and I've been thinking on this for quite a while, I come to the conclusion, not very long ago, I just this, that I need to say to God, I am willing to suffer. I'm willing to suffer for your name's sake. I want it, I'm willing. Do I want to? No, but I'm willing. And then, in my heart, that needs to be taking place. I think consists, I'm willing. And Lord, I'm going to trust you with it. But then secondly, in my life, I am building joyful community with selfless humility. In relationship with, and I believe more than ever, preparing for whatever's coming is going to necessitate an understanding of the need we have for community. I believe it's the, it's the word for me this year. What are we going to do? How are we going to prepare? That's the, that's the million-dollar question. You know, you see all these things that are going on. They seem so overwhelming. They seem so beyond anything we can do. What's, what, what are we supposed to do? 
Well, at least two things have surfaced for me in a lot of my reading over the months that have come. Number one, I need to say to, to, the, to God, I'm willing. If you're going to take me there, I know all things work together. But if you're going to lead me in those places and going to allow that to happen, then, Lord, I'm willing. But secondly, I'm understanding more and more I need to build into my life joyful community. And how's it going to happen? Selfless humility. A servant. A servant. We love the gospel, but we remember the death of Jesus until he comes. That is the joy of a servant. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We nurture the same thoughts among ourselves that we have in our communion with Jesus. We nurture those things as we have received, as we've walked through, as we're getting to know Jesus more and more. That's why I love 1 John. It says, I've written to you little children, written to you young men, but I've written to you fathers because you've known him who is from the beginning. We need to draw from both ends of people walking. We, the, the, the young children, they know him, but you've known him, the depth that comes with those who've walked with the Lord. I was watching, Charlotte and I were watching Corey Ten Boom. We were watching Wormbrand, Tortured for Christ. I'm looking at these lives and what they went through. And, and Corey Ten Boom, after the whole thing happened with her sister being killed, her mother and father being killed by the Nazis, she gets released miraculously. She's in Germany years later, and she sees one of the Gestapo guards that had been there and killed her sister. He comes up after and says, Fräulein, do you remember me? And she remembered. And it's like, a, it's like this, her, her, she just went ice cold. And she confessed, I was bitter in my heart. I hated him. And he's exchanged, I became a Christian. I'm, would you forgive me? And the hands reached out. And, and Corey Ten Boom said that the will can operate no matter what the temperature of the heart. I mean, that's depth. She reached out her hand and immediately the Lord flooded her with love and forgiveness. See, there's a need we have to walk together, to hear the testimony. They overcame the devil by the, by the blood of the lamb and the what? Word of their testimony. And you watch some of these people have gone through it and say, I could never go through that. Well, at this point, God hasn't asked me to, or you probably, but some have. And that's the joyful community of selfless humility where God takes away these things in our lives through the, let's call it adventures he takes us through. It says, who being the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. That word form means the outward expression of the inward nature. It stresses the inner essence or reality. Jesus, who is and who was and who is to come, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Almighty, Revelation chapter 1. He is God. Can you say amen? Jesus is in very nature God. He was and is and always will be God. He never ceased being God because God can't cease being God. I wish I could explain that to you, how that happens, how that works. But here we have the infinite God-man, the incarnate God who walked among us, 
And so we read in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. Without Him, nothing was made that is made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten of the Father who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared. Literally, He's the heart of God. Manifested, revealed. Who being the form of God, in being God. Colossians, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians, again, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Hebrews, God who at various times and various ways spoke in times past to the to the. To the, in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in his last days spoken to us by his son, notice, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, he's God, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Being the form of God, he did not consider robbery to be equal with God. He is God. He said in John 17, his high priestly prayer, Jesus, before going to the cross, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. I don't get that, and neither do you, as far as understanding that. But brothers and sisters, this is who Jesus is. He's manifested the heart of God. The eternal glory of Jesus is beyond any ability of ours to comprehend. And yet we've seen the eternal selfless humility of heaven. That's where he humbled himself to begin. He left his throne of glory. It's the very nature of God. And this is the very nature that we have now through the Holy Spirit that God wants to to continue to nurture in our hearts and in our minds and then in our actions. Revealed in the incarnate Son of God, the servant. He made, him no, he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant, same word, form. He is a servant by nature. God is a servant by nature. Wow. If I was God, that wouldn't be the case. I'd have everyone serving me. You, you see these, the God of Islam. Not three persons, one. There can be no love with one person. When one person's in charge and that's it, it's the dominating that takes place. That's the fruit of one person being in charge. He emptied himself. The word points to divesting of his self-interest, but not his deity. Though his humanity was genuine, he was different from all other humans that have ever lived. He had no sin. The perfect man. The perfect God-man. And because of that, he could die for our sins. During his incarnate state, he surrendered his right to manifest himself visibly as the God of all splendor and all glory, except on the Mount of Transfiguration. Got a little, little head start on seeing that. 
He lived on this earth with certain limitations, but they were self-limitations. God and the Son were not arguing about this. They weren't trying to persuade. No, this was Godhead who is selfless humility. There was never a moment when he wasn't God, and he was no less God because there was a man, yet he emptied himself of his prerogatives as deity, laid aside all the independent use of his own attributes of God. Now this, again, beyond our comprehension, but it's true. He taking the form of a servant. Same word. Jesus did not pretend to be a servant. He kept going, oh, man, I got to go out there again. Oh, man. And that Peter, he's really, I mean, come on. Never. It's very nature. That's who he is. The servant. In the Gospels, it's Jesus who serves others, not others him. And all through his life. It's nothing but selfless humility in dealing with those who were following and those who hated him. The Son of Man, he said, did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve and what? Ultimate, give his life a ransom for many. Paid the price. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 52, beginning in verse 13, I believe it is, through 53. You got to read them. We don't have time this morning. You got to read them. Isaiah 42 says, Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my elect one, in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. It's prophetic of Jesus, my servant. Isaiah 52, verse 13, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled to me very high. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred, more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Brothers and sisters, I don't know if you know this. Some of you have heard probably. But what he's saying there, he was so mercilessly beaten, you couldn't even recognize him as a human being. And then you go into chapter 53. Do you know that chapter 53, eight of the 12 verses in chapter 53 are directly related, uh, used as a cross-reference in the New Testament. And the other four are alluded to. And if one is questionable, it's only one, verse 2. But I say verse 2 is, because he says, you know, there was no former comeliness that we should desire him. Well, he became a man. And when he became a man, he was, you wouldn't have known. You wouldn't have separated him out at all. He looked just like a little boy growing up. He looked, and then he comes on the scene. In fact, he said, well, he's the carpenter's son. He wasn't shiny. He didn't have a halo. He was a man in humility, selfless humility. Isaiah 53 is absolutely an incredible chapter. So he wasn't an actor playing a role. He didn't have a script of what he's supposed to say. He is my servant. He was God, man, deity, and humanity united as one, and he came as a servant. I'm nailing this and nailing this because Naturally, we are far from that. We're walking on holy ground. We are so self-centered. We think so highly of ourselves. And yet, if anyone could ever say, I am great, I am glorious, (laughs) look at me. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, 
And yet he did nothing of the kind. He only let himself be revealed when it was time for the cross. Wow. And being found in appearance as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Not only death, one of the most hideous, maybe the most hideous form of execution ever devised in the mind of wicked men. You see, the cross is to characterize all our relationships in Christ's community. All that we do, how we interact, the cross should characterize all of that. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on, of those in heaven and those on earth and, those on, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's what's coming. We remember his death until he comes. That's coming. Highly exalted means super exalted. What? His resurrection, his ascension, his glory. Highly exalted, super exalted. There is none higher. His, ex his exaltation included sovereign authority over all cre creatures in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. This is all coming in the kingdom. His selfless humility is obtaining, in obtaining our salvation will have its ultimate expression in bringing glory to God as he brings many sons to glory. Ephesians, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made accepted in the beloved. Ephesians 1.12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1.14, who is the guarantee of our redemption until the purchase, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Our lives saved, sealed, and one day risen. Glorify God. Because he brought many sons to glory. How? Through his selfless humility on the cross. Hebrews. It was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through what? Sufferings. For both he who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, are all of one, for which reason he's not ashamed to, be, to call him his brother. Wow. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. He's the choir leader. We remember Jesus' death till he comes. Let me turn a corner here. I want to be going to lead us into communion time. On November 3rd, 2020, election day, we spent 13 hours in that room on, in our increments praying for our nation. On November 4th, 2020, I made a decision to stop watching the news. I get little tidbits through emails. And the reason I did that is because my blossoming bad attitude needed to be dealt with. Some of you can relate to me. Seeing what's going on, seeing what's happened, whatever you believe, I don't, that doesn't matter. I'm just saying my attitude was bad. What he's talking about Philippians is my attitude. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking also with our kids. Change your attitude 
You know, when they have bad attitude, we just say, change your attitude. But when it comes to me, <laughs> man, that's got to be work of the Holy Spirit. And anyway, so I just stopped watching the news. And what I did, let this mind be, which also in Christ Jesus, what I did is what I've done before in seasons like those. I reread three books on the cross and one book on being a pastor. I can get back to the centrality of what Jesus accomplished and through that what he wants to yet accomplish. He's called me as a pastor. I have to get back to that, to understanding these other things. I probably, for most, I can do nothing about them except get mad. And I want to do what I need to be doing as a citizen of, heaven, of, of the United States of America. John Stott wrote a book called The Cross. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a book called The Cross. Max Lucada, his book is Six Hours on Friday. The practice when I've done this has always proved very profitable for my heart and mind. I would encourage if you're going through those things. You see, we are to be operating from the heavenly hope of God's love for us. And God's plans being further. And we all know that. But sometimes we need to just retreat back into the heart and mind of what's going on and allow the Holy Spirit to re-up the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. I beseech you, therefore, Romans 12, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service of worship, and do not be what? Conformed to this world. And it's easy for the world to sweep us right down its rivers of anger and bitterness and division and all these things. We gotta, we gotta climb out of the current and rest with Jesus for a while. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you need that this morning? If I were going to recommend something to read, it would be Max Lucado's book. He's an amazing writer. He's one of the few books that I ever read that I don't mark the margins. I just read it and let the Holy Spirit minister to me about the cross and what God has done and what he's doing in many other situations and illustrations that are in that book. That's where I'd say start there. It's a wonderful book. He writes this. Stability in the storm comes not from seeking a new message, but from understanding an old one. The most reliable anchor points are not recent discoveries, but are time-tested truths that held their ground against the winds of change. Truths like, my life is not futile, my failures are not fatal, and my death is not final because of the cross, because of six hours on Friday. From those books, The Cross, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, his main verse is Galatians 6.14. God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world, I say, crucify it. He writes, a few, I want to just read a couple things from that book, different pages, but I've combined them. The moment comes when we look at the cross and see that God sent his only begotten, dearly beloved son into the world in order that he might go to the cross. It was God who sent him to it. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. It was God who laid on him the iniquity of us all. It is God who smote him and struck him and gave him punishment we deserved. As you look at the cross, I say again, your whole attitude towards God changes completely. 
There we see God in love, full of mercy and compassion, that God loves us with an everlasting love. The cross gives a whole new view of ourselves. Jesus had to go to death on the cross because, of what, because we are what we are, because we are sinners, because we are failures, because we are dead, spiritually dead. And to be spiritually dead means that we do not know God. We may talk about God, but we do not know him. That is what spiritual death means. Our Lord says, and this is eternal life, that you may know, they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And to be dead is exactly the opposite. It means that you do not know God, that you do not know Jesus. Another page, once a man sees the message of the cross, he has an entirely new view of everything. He's a new man. He has been bought with a price. He's a son of God. He has a new motive. To sin now means that he's wounding love. He's not breaking law. He is wounding the love of the one who gave himself for him. He says, I cannot do it. I have been bought with a price. I have no right to do it. I am not my own. I belong to him. I am a slave of Christ as I used to be the slave of the devil and sin. I have no right to and I cannot do it. He has a new conception of sin. He has new motives for living a holy life. And thank God, over and above all, he has, he has got new power whereby to do it, unquote. Isn't that great? That's what we have. That's why we need to remember his death until he comes. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. That's, that's a hymn. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Is that not life-changing? You bet it is. In the cross by Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, quote, The Lord's Supper is the particular Christian equivalent to the Passover. It is, therefore, central to the church's life of celebration. It was instituted by Jesus at Passover time. Indeed, during the Passover meal itself, and he deliberately replaced the ceremonial recitation, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate with, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you. Jesus gave a whole new meaning to the hundreds of years of celebrating the Passover, God's deliverance of his people from Egypt by the blood of the lamb put on their lintels. Jesus now is the lamb. And at the last supper, at the last supper that ceremonial meal, he gave new meaning. He said, I, my body, my blood. The bread and wine of the Christian festival oblige us to look back to the cross of Christ and to recall with gratitude what he has suffered and accomplished there, unquote. That's what we're going to do now. We're going to take communion. Remembering his death until he comes. Now, Paul wrote to the Corinthians. And the Corinthian church had a lot of problems. And their problems made, its way, made their way into the communion ceremony. The sacraments. And so he said to them in chapter 11, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. I'm not saying, no, he's saying, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. And they were coming to the community, and there's, there's sort of selfishly, well, I got mine, you got yours, and, they, and there was divisions. Corinthian church was a mess. He said, you're coming to celebrate, you're coming to remember his death, and that's your attitude? So it's kind of like an attitude examination, an attitude adjustment. 
which should be taking place when we take communion together. So it's a celebration, yes, but it's also a sober time to examine ourselves and say, how am I living? How am I reflecting Christ? So he says, I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on that same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take ye, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, cup of redemption, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And brothers and sisters, we need reminders. We need to remember the cross. Remember his death until he comes. As often as we can. See, it's this attitude check that's supposed to be taking place for God's people. And Jesus knew our need to remember what he accomplished, that it might begin to reflect on how my conscience operates. How my heart is moved. How my my mental capacities are thinking. So since we're in Christ, since we are saved, since we know Jesus, we have been encouraged and comforted by his love. We've had fellowship with him through the spirit. We have received of his affection and mercy. Therefore, the certainty of them in our lives are to be the certainty of them in us for others. There can be no joy in the Christian life without selfless humility. There will be no oneness, no unity. That's why Paul said the body suffers when the attitudes are bad. Jesus died as our example. So we need to come to the communion table humbly. And on that night he was betrayed. Knowing the Father had given all things into his hands. He'd come from God, was going to God. He laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin. Began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. And what happened? Peter, good old Peter, said, Lord, what are you doing? He said, what I'm doing now, you don't understand, but you'll know after this. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. You get that, don't you? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash whatever you need to, because I'll never want to see you go. To wash whatever you need. And Jesus said, He was bathed, he was clean, he's only to be bathed. He's clean up what there's some that alluding to Judas. At that table, Jesus going to face the cross, humbles himself. He said, Do you know what I've done to you? I'm your teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I've given you an example that you should do as I've done to you. I've never been through a foot washing ceremony, but I heard they're pretty humbling. So we're going to take communion. 
And here we just want to take the time in worship with the cup and a little practical note. When you get those cups, first time I did them, I had juice all over myself. There's two, there's a clear plastic on the top. That comes off first. That's where the wafer is, the bread. And then there's another foil that comes off second. We're going to, again, worship the Lord, and I'm just going to ask you as myself also, let's examine ourselves this morning. We're a part of a body of Christ. It's called Calvary Chapel South. And we're called to selfless humility in obeying Jesus to love one another as he has loved us. So let's just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to us as we sing. And take our hearts to God. Because we all need a refreshing. Many of us will need to repent and acknowledge that. Examine ourselves. But thank God there's a place we can go with all of our sin. Confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Maybe it's a certain relationship that you're trying to avoid. Maybe there is an anger and bitterness. I'm not suggesting at all that you sort of say something that's magic. No, no, no. This is between you and Jesus. His affection toward you. His mercy toward you. The fellowship you have with. That's where this, this amazing transformation takes place in your heart. It's you and him. So let's do that.